Welcome back, Action Alerts Plus subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. I'm Chris Versace, lead portfolio manager for the Streets Action Alerts Plus portfolio. And joining me once again to break down what's going on in the market, in the economy, is my good friend, Hot Toddy C. That's right, Todd Campbell from Street Smarts. Todd, how are you doing? Doing great, Chris. Not as not as great as you're going to be doing in a couple of days, though. <laughs> so, listeners, um, what Todd is referring to is I'm doing something that is very unheard of, i.e., going on vacation. Uh, however, I, I will say that the um, the a the larger AAP team has got things in hand and under control. And while I might be a little unreachable in my travels. Uh, I am fully confident that you will be well cared for in my short absence. That's right. I'll be back uh, back in the saddle on the 12th. And I understand we have the next Action Alerts Plus monthly call on June 14th, that Wednesday. So hopefully you guys will be tuning in. We'll have a lot of good stuff to talk about. But Todd, let's talk about this market, this range-bound market, this market that's contending with a debt ceiling that we're likely to get. But, oh, oh, wait. Inflation is persistent. And now, compared to the last time we talked, Todd, the Fed funds rate is saying, hey, you might actually see another 25 basis points come the end of the June meeting. I think that's also June 14th. So again, June 14th is going to be a busy day. But you know, I see that, Todd, and uh, let me just rattle off. We are still in a range-bound market, 3,800 to 4,200 on the S&P 500. I do think we will get a debt ceiling. You know, there is some last minute uh, squabbles from the Freedom Caucus and some other, what's that technical term? Oh yeah, yahoos. And I think we'll get the debt ceiling debt done. We'll move past it, but inflation and fundamentals will come back into vogue. It's already starting. Do I think that we will get a 25 basis point rate hike? We could, but I would also point out that after, uh, in the next couple of days, sorry, we're gonna get uh, a lot of data. Um, we're going to get manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMI data for May, the May employment report, the ADP employment report for May, as well as uh, CPI, PPI for May as well. We'll get all of that between June 1 and the morning of June 14th. So that that picture in the CME FedWatch tool could change. Oh, by the way, my guest is Todd Campbell. Todd, thanks for joining us. Anything to say? <laughs> Well, that's a lot, man. That's a lot. We got a lot of things to consider there and unpack there. Um, okay, let's start with the debt ceiling, right? Not the first time that we've come up with the debt ceiling. I think everybody and their brother guessed that we wouldn't get a solution until the you know eleventh eleventh hour. hour, yeah, yeah, you eleventh know, hour, fifty ninth minute. Um, sure, everybody wants to you know bang on their partisan drum, right? You know, and um, and declare victory. So that's not an easy thing to do. But us out here in the real world. You know, we're really looking at trying to see how it impacts investors and, and what's going to end up happening. And um, one of the things that jumps out to me, and I think that this is an important point for uh, our listeners to bear in mind, is, is what happened in 2011. You know, if you remember in 2011, we had a similar debt crisis, debt ceiling crisis uh, that stretched out over summer. And it wasn't until I want to say like August 2nd, something like that, where we actually got a bill passed through Congress. Now, the assumption all along has been that, well, if we get a debt ceiling done, done a debt ceiling deal done, <laughs> easy for me to say. Say that three times fast, Todd. No, no, I won't. Um, if we get that deal done, then that clears, you know, it's it's clear sailing to higher stock prices. 
Well, maybe, but maybe not. I mean, we have to remember that, you know, just because there is something called, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. And right. we may have actually seen a little bit of that play out last week when we got above 4,200 for just a second, right? Chris, we, we closed above 4,200 40, on Friday. I think, uh, not, not, not to be a little more precise, but I think 4,205 was the number. 4,205. And um, right now it's looking like the traditional oopsie reversal where you poke your head up above a resistance or, or a uh, support level, depending on which side you're going on. And then the next day you snap back and go the other way. Um, I have more thoughts on, on what's uh, on that that maybe we can get into later on, but sticking with the debt ceiling, I think mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. important to remember what happened in 2011. And what happened in 2011 is that once the deal got done, you did see an initial pop in stocks, but it was really quite short-lived. Really what took off was bonds, treasury bonds, so the TLT, and interestingly enough, the dollar. Now, normally if, you know, if yields are falling because treasuries are rising, the dollar would fall as well. Because generally speaking, interest rate is the return on your sovereign currency. Right, right. So, Theoretically, you wouldn't see the dollar and treasuries climbing at the same time, but there was this huge flight to safety because at the time the S&P had come out and downgraded the U.S., mm -hmm. um, causing all sorts of people to go, what does that mean? Um, so stocks did rise, but then they sold off. Dollar and uh, treasuries moonshotted um, for like six weeks. And then everything started to stabilize out maybe two to three months later, you could have got a really nice entry in stocks and then it took off. So I guess the point that I was trying to make with that long explanation, Chris, was simply that don't just simply extrapolate that debt deal done means um, off Clear. to the races right. uh, for, for the stock market. So let me um, ask you this because I, I we had an AAP subscriber question that we answered in the daily rundown today about the yield curve, which, as you know, is inverted. And, you know, the last I think nine of the last 10 recessions have been signaled by an inverted yield curve. This is pretty well trodden territory. But. You mentioned something when you were just talking about the debt ceiling and, you know, I, I was thinking about this myself, which is, you know, that uncertainty with the debt ceiling and whether or not we would default, whether or not we would get a deal, you know, it's one thing for us to say, I think we're going to get a deal because we likely would, but we are going to see things move around in the marketplace. You know, for example, like some defense stocks really pulled back questions over how much uh, defense spending might have been pared back. We saw the same thing with some other healthcare related names. Oh, to what degree might Medicare spending get pared back? And, and as we've learned, not really. So, so, but some of this has to play out in the marketplace. But getting back to the yield curve, you know, when you look at those longer term um, uh, interest rate bearing instruments, you know, if there's some concern about a debt default, it is possible to see them kind of come under pressure. So is it, the, so, so the question I'm getting to you, Todd, the direct question is, does it make sense to revisit the yield curve somewhat after June 5th when, you know, everything is kind of settled with the debt ceiling, you know, issue? Or do you think it might take a little bit longer for, you know, per perhaps the long end of the curve to maybe just adjust a little bit, normalize a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw bonds really take it on the chin. 
um, ahead of this. So the last month, we've seen a really a really big change in yields, yields rising pretty dramatically ahead of this debt uncertainty. And I think actually, you know, this is just my opinion is that we have a pretty good buy opportunity in some of these, like the TLT or, or you know, so if you look at the 20-year bonds or something like that. Um, I do think that you could get a rally off of some support here once this is all said and done. If so, the degree of inversion may shrink, right? right. We may see right. a de the degree of inversion shrink. So to your point, yeah, I don't think that you can draw a lot of long-term conclusions based on the last 30 days of debt uncertainty and uh, what's happened with yields over the last 30 days. Um, and then opportunistically, I, I do think that there's there there are some opportunities now with treasuries. I mean, it is kind of crazy to think about, you know, with the 30 day and I think it was yielding over 5% or something like that. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you've, you definitely have some, some, some interesting stuff going on there. And yeah, I, I don't think I want to extrapolate forward what happened this month much beyond the next week or so. This is uh, not the run rate you're looking for. Yeah, no, no, no. And then, you know, um, to the point that you mentioned before, we have all of this data yep. that's coming. And then we have the Fed meeting, right? And I mean, it's you, I, you know, Chris, a couple, I don't remember when the last time we talked was or when this was that you, you've made this point a couple of times, which is that, you know, people's expectation of rate cuts by summer were just so off base. And, uh, you know, yeah. as the data has come in and as we've gotten closer to these things, sure enough, they've walked back. Well, all of them, Chris, or, or or just push them out until December or November. Do you know? Uh, I'm going to look while we're talking. Yeah, because I'm not. I'm not sure. But, but the but reality I will say is that I, they, I, have look, pushed, so. they have removed a lot of that accommodation that they were hoping for by this summer. Yes, I think that that is 100% correct. And um, I mean, look, Todd, you you know that I just simply listen to the data as best I can. Um, you know. And I think that there was a few things going on. You know, one, I think since we really talked uh, for sure, the April core PCE came in, ticked higher to 4.7% year over year, you know, clearly moving the wrong way. Um, but there was a all sorts of Fed officials making the rounds, you know, over the last three weeks. And I think we have a couple more to go before we finally close it out. And I say that because uh, as we enter June, um, we quickly approach the Fed blackout period where they can't say anything ahead of that uh, policy meeting. So I think this is it. So I'm, I'm looking at the um, CME FedWatch tool for December, Todd, 36% uh, 36, 36 probability, 475 to 500 basis points. The current target, just so we're all clear, 500 to 525. But if we look at the June meeting, Ah, see, here we go now. Probabilities have totally flip-flopped, 72.5%, 500 to 525. So that suggests perhaps one rate cut, but again, a lot of data coming. So we will see what happens. Remember though, too, that you know Powell and crew, crew excuse me, have said uh, 500 to 525, that's the range for exiting 2023. Uh, the other thing that we should talk about, Todd, is, and I'm, I'm just thinking about this now, in addition, on June 14th, when the Fed speaks and Powell says, you know, the latest and the greatest, uh, we also get the updated economic projections from the Fed. Now, this is something we get four times a year. We got the last ones in March. We'll, we'll get them, like I said, June 14th. We'll get them September and December again. 
So in that, this is going to be very interesting to me because one, they're going to update their expectation for inflation in the Fed funds rate, but they're also going to update their GDP forecast. And, you know, the data that we've been getting so far, you know, the message that I've been sharing is, you know, the economy, despite everything that's being thrown at it, is holding up, you know, arguably better than expected. Now, we're going to have to continue to update this as we move through the summer, but it'll be interesting to see what the Fed thinks come June 14th. Yeah, actually, Fed, one of the Fed speakers today, Harker, who's a voting member, he actually said that he's not modeling. Uh, Fed's Harker, yeah, I'm not modeling for a forecast for recession. Unemployment will tick up to 4.4%. Uh, data still to come may change my mind, but I'm in the camp that coming into this meeting, we can skip a meeting. And then another voting member, um, Jefferson, skipping a right hike at the coming meeting would allow Fed officials to see additional data. It definitely feels to me, Chris, that they are laying the groundwork, groundwork for the pause argument. So we've got, you said, 30% chance right now being factored in for another 25 basis points. I think that's what Correct. you just indicated. Just about, just about, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so well, I think that, you know, unless we see anything really, really crazy, maybe, I mean, we have a jobs report on Friday. I mean, we don't, I mean, I don't know what, what crazy we could see. And one of the other things I was thinking about was that if they had had more austerity in the debt ceiling negotiation, more cuts, that also would have taken some of the heat off of mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. the Fed. They wouldn't have had to necessarily increase rates because they would know that, okay, some of the spending cuts are going to do that work for us. Um, I, I, I don't know. It feels to me like they're going to pause. I well, well, you know, at, we'll see. You know, it's all, you know, we've got a lot of data and it's a lot of data that they'll be looking at from uh, the services side to wage inflation to the tightness of the labor market. So it's, you know, I think TBD because, you know, two or three pieces of that data could really upend the picture. So I would rather say, let's wait and, you know, make a smart call with more data in hand. Um, but what was I? You distracted me, Todd. No, I was I know. Going so while you while you recover your footing and whatever you're going, the yeah, other yeah. thing that I wanted to mention too, and something that because you always ask me, Todd, what are you going to be watching? So I figured, hey, I'll get in front of the question this time. <laughs> 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 I'll jump out in front of it. Um, so one of the things I'm really curious to see. By the way, Todd, thank you for taking that bullet. Yeah, no problem. Um, one of the things I'm really curious to see is what happens when OPEC meets on June 4th. That's the next yeah. meeting. So will OPEC, remember listeners in April, they announced a 1.1 million per barrel per day cut to try and bring the economy back into line with supply. So demand back into line with supply. Oil, not the economy. Oil. Yeah, oil. Yeah, to bring oil. <laughs> thank you. Back it. Thank you. I, good, good to see I'm not the only person multitasking. That's right. Well, one of the, the reason that you see, I got again, I, my brain gets going too fast. Uh, one of the things I was going to say is that, you know, you can't deny the impact of demand destruction, right? So one of the things that we've been watching, right, with the economy is what's going on with the manufacturing PMIs. Yeah. And I think that when we get the PMI, was it tomorrow or the next day? It's going to be, um, Probably what the seventh consecutive month for contraction or below well, fifty but, reading, but, and then China, China, well, China. That's, yes, that's what I was going to say. So when you look at the the recent OPEC reports, you know they have kind of 
ticked higher consumption because of the rebound expected in China. Lo and behold, um, not the Caxon, but the NBS, the official China um, manufacturing PMI came out and it contracted. The other thing that's that was interesting in it is the service sector uh, for May, um, the actual headline number was fine. It, it, it slipped a little bit, but still in expansion territory. The order number fell to 49. Now remember, listeners, that you know 50 is the magic line. If you're above 50, you're expanding. If you're below 50, you're contracting. That was a little surprising. And I, I think that reignited some concerns about the global economy, Todd. Yeah, and so it's going to have impacts not just on oil, but you know, Dr. Copper. Uh, you know, yep. it's going to have impacts on all commodities. And I think we've seen obviously copper has gotten taken out to the woodshed um, in the past few months. And I, I know Carly Garner, who's always contributing to AAP uh, and providing some some insights. She's she's got some bullish comments on copper. But it is interesting to see how this is all going to play out because if if our manufacturing industry feels like it's in a recession already, right? So it's the services that's doing all the heavy lifting mm -hmm. right now. But that's not so, totally odd for the U.S. economy. For no, no, but, the same is true, but, the same, but, the, but Todd, the same is true in Europe. The same is true in Japan right now. Yeah, right? and then with, with China, you know, you've got the, you know, I think that was the second month in a row below 50. So there is a global, you know, manufacturing problem, and that is going to impact um, demand for oil. And then you've got the other part of it is, okay, what's happening here in the U.S.? We're producing a lot of oil out of the Permian. We're continuing to, you know, to to ramp up our production. We're at record levels of oil production here in the U.S. Um, and if you're an oil company, if you're sitting on oil company's board, you've got to be saying to yourself. I've got some really tough comparisons year over year that I'm going to have to try and meet at the, into the end of this year. And if oil prices are down in the 75 to 70 range, well, that means either I produce more oil <laughs> to grow sales year over year, or I just bite the bullet. I report my my negative year over year uh, results, and I hope for the best with the equity market. Right. So it sounds to me, Todd, you might be leaning towards the fact that OPEC Plus at this meeting might be saying, "Hey, fellas." Sorry, we're not going to be producing as much oil as we previously thought. It would it would seem to me that that would be a move that they would make to try and again drop. You have that line in the sand around mm -hmm. seventy, where they don't want it to go much below that. And um, if the economy really is stuttering and sputtering, um, then you know maybe they do that. Um, and obviously that'll have that will have repercussions on consumers' wallets. I think that when I did the the walk forward of gasoline prices, um, the last time I did that, the maximum deflationary impact of gasoline is in June, meaning that the year-over-year -year comps, um, that's where the, the year-over-year comps was was toughest. And then mm -hmm. they started their decline. So, you know, right for now, inflation has been somewhat kept in check because of lower gasoline prices, but we lose a little bit of that help as we get deeper into the summer. I think that's right. I think that's right. I'm I'm looking here as of today, according to uh, my good friends at AAA, the year ago, um, average gas price per gallon was $4.62 currently three dollars and let's just round it up call it 58 cents but you're right though todd you know and 
and when you look through the uh, inflation data, we always have to remember that that headline number is getting pushed down because it was exactly what you just called out, lower energy prices. Imagine if that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. Right? It would, it would not be good. There's no, no. There's no question. No. I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that we have a, we have a lot of families that are on the bubble right now. Oh, listen, um, all you need to do is listen to the retailers that reported lately. Everybody from Walmart to BJ's to uh, Target, Foot Locker, I mean, you name it, you know, and then you look at the data, how, how the savings rate is falling, how folks are, as we expected, taking on more credit and as a result becoming more choosy and they're having to, you know, um, pay more to service that debt. I mean, this, this is just the way that it is. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, it's, it's challenging for a lot of folks. Yet, yet, crazily enough, if you look at year-to-date performance, the two best performing sectors are discretionary and technology. Two wow, so hang, so, so technology, we know exactly why that is. We talked about this before, and I wrote a piece on AAP today. I don't know if you saw it, Todd, that compared the year-to-date performance for the S&P 500 market cap versus S&P 500 equal weighted. And yes, it is all because of those six stocks and how they account for 25 26% in the market cap weighted index versus 1.2% in the equal weight. I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. And thank you, AI and, and all that other stuff. Um, so, you know, it, it is it is um, something we have to watch the consumer. They are a great life engine for the uh, US economy, but also outside the US as well. Um, any companies, Todd, that you're warming up to and any, anything that's interesting, catching your um, your eye or much like me, are you sitting here watching us kind of bounce off that resistance level, waiting to see something that uh, might be a little more appetizing at lower levels? Well, I, I will say that I am more long than I have been in a long time. And I did remove most of the hedges that I had had, had put into my portfolio uh, at to the end of the next week, but it wasn't because I was making this big bet that stocks were going to go moonshotting or, mm-hmm. or whatever. It was more because I recognized that that you know ultimately it is a market of stocks, and we can have all the macro commentary and risks and fears and things that could logically impact stocks. But mm-hmm. we need to, end of the day we need to have stocks that are, are wisely put together. Uh, that we own stocks and, and we're exposed to the market, and that's what's going to pay us. So I, I I think that stock selection is incredibly important right now, um, and I am going through and making sure that I like what I own. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not pressing bets beyond what I've already pressed. My my gut is telling me that I would rather be a buyer on weakness than a seller, um, but that's just simply because I feel like I feel like something has changed. I mean, we look at a lot. So I, 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 I think you're right. And I, and I think just, you know, when we listen to some of the comments, even just on the earnings call this week or over the last, last, let's say the last several days, you know, where, um, data center appears to be firming, 
right? The PC market, I think HP kind of said, look, you know, we're very near the bottom of this point. But on the other hand, we're hearing from uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprises that, you know, deals continue to get pushed out. People are working down their inventory. I think uh, Ambarella said something very similar to that as well. So I, I think right now we're starting to see some pockets firm, right? And I think that's where we need to identify in B. Um, it's not universal. It's not across the board. And I, I think, you know, as as Bob Lang likes to say, uh, that makes it a stock picker's market, which is, I think, kind of where you're going with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I think you have to be incredibly selective in financials still. I think you need to be selective in industrials. I think there are baskets uh, within industrials that are worse than others. I think that, you know, um, I think there are parts of the market that look attractive to me and other parts of the market that I think are more, I'm more skeptical of. It's definitely a stock picker's market. And that's, I really do believe that this is well, where the value of what is being done and uh, you guys are doing so, so well at AAP. Uh, what other people are saying here on Real Money Pro, I mean, it's, and that is basically, hey, you know what, here's some good stocks, get them on your radar, and then look for some opportunities to get exposure. Don't be stupid. You know, we've talked about this on the show many times. Pay attention to your position sizes. Don't mm -hmm. feel like you need to be all in all at once, right? Um, go ahead and nibble on some of these things and see how it plays out. And I think that that's, that's kind of how I'm approaching things right now. Well, the other thing is don't be afraid to book some gains, you know, and like I'll I'll give one example and then I'll talk about something that we actually did in the AAP portfolio. Like you look at NVIDIA right now and we're not involved, you know, clearly we missed it at the AAP portfolio. I mean, I'm, I'm it, you know, can't hide, can't hide from that. But, you know, when you look at the valuation and I know that there's a lot of promise, you know, out there, but I mean, seriously, you know, if you're not at least taking some chips off the table, I, I think you really got to revisit what you're thinking. And and I will say that we did that with Marvell. You know, I were talking before we started taping that we were in with the AAP portfolio buying in around 38, uh, you know, 40, 41. Uh, I think our average cost basis was 39 and change, something like that. And, you know, when it shot up to 65, it popped our position size easily over four percent and that that's kind of our benchmark um so we knew that we were going to come into this week having to trim it back and you know we got back from the holiday weekend we did just that and lo and behold you know the the prices are coming back down and we we've said this we're sorry said this and we've were in print on this we would look to revisit the position closer to the 50 dollars level that that's where we think the risk reward is uh you know skews to our favor and that's exactly really what I was talking about, which is that you know you can you can play around on the edges. You have your core position. You get overbought, or you feel like things are trading a little too rich. Uh, you can't sleep at night. Maybe you're overly exposed. Whatever. Put some of that profit in your pocket. Nothing wrong with that. And then you can go back and buy it. The key though is that if it gets down to that level where you said to yourself, "I'm going to buy it back," you got to buy it back. Because, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. one of the things that, you know, always struck me is, you know, you go back to the early OOs, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, I made money on Amazon. A lot of people traded Amazon in the early OOs and they're in, in the late night early OOs and made money. Um, ultimately, I probably would have been better if I just sat on my hands and didn't and didn't mess around with it and just owned it. Oh, and this the was... reason behind that is because I sold it and put the money in my pocket 
but then I never acted to buy it back and just sit on it. When I got to that, I got too, I got scared of it, or for whatever reason, the valuation frightened me out. Whatever it was, I, I was going to say, Todd. You know these these trading programs, they have alerts, right? You know that, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the thing is, you got to get the alert, and then you actually have to act on it. I understand. You, know, you have to I, play in the trade, and then you need to, and then you need to trade the plan. That's why. That's why, Todd, you need one of these. It's called a trade book. Yeah, you got you your know? trade book. You get, you know, I got all my, I got all my notes. I, you know, what, what am I warming up to? What, what's, what am I watching? You know, all these things. So it's, it's all important and it's only by going back and, you know, there, there's the notes that we have and then there, the alerts that we share with subscribers. And then there's the notes in my notebook and these other conversations that, you know, you really got to take like a, it's, it's an iterative process, but as much as you go forward, it's always smart to look back. Because you can identify, you know, what did I get right? What, what what was I unsure of that played out? And what was I unsure of and what moved against me? And that's the only way that we can kind of learn and become, you know, better investors. Because it's the market, while it travels in cycles, there's always, you know, something new going along. You know, and history is a great, great example. And, you know, I've talked about this more times than I can care to count right now. But just comparing what we're seeing right now in AI to the dot-com bubble, you know, and, and I won't bore you with all of it, Todd, but it's, it's kind of quickly like this. Um, are, are some of the AI stocks out over their skis? Yes. Am I concerned that we're hearing companies that have no business talking about AI talk about it and how it's going to impact their business? Yes, I am. FactSet even said 110 companies referenced their AI multiple times on their earnings calls up from 73 or 75 the quarter before and up from 53 the quarter before that. So when you see people kind of leaning in, makes me a little nervous. Having said that, do I think the long-term prospects for AI are probably far better and far greater than we know? Possibly. Look at the internet in 1999 and look at the internet today and all the things that we can do from, you know, payments to streaming to, you know, almost whatever you want compared to in 99, uh, the internet was a glorified online catalog. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, I think that this is, this actually is a good segue for smarts content tonight. Um, I'm, I wrote an article talking about Doug Cassip and now talking a little bit about the, the risks that may be underappreciated in AI. Uh, oh, yeah. by investors. And I think that a lot of people are extrapolating a straight line to AI profit from AI interest. And one of the points that Doug was making was that, okay, yes, companies like NVIDIA are going to do well just because there's this flurry of investment spending from IT that is going into these. And guess what? They are a backbone provider. They are a supplier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Suppliers of AI infrastructure benefit. You can draw a direct line to, okay, Growing orders, growing revenue, growing profitability, right? And that's why Marvell took off. That's why um, NVIDIA took off. I think it's less, it's a little fuzzier to connect those dots than when you look at Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and the companies that are actually writing the checks to buy this infrastructure. And the idea seems to be, okay, build it and they will come like a field of dreams kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually yeah, yeah. profit will materialize. We're going to spend all these countless uh, billions of dollars um, to be able to, to upgrade all of our infrastructure. And eventually we'll turn a profit on that. I think the investors need to kind of just bear in mind that it's not a straight line towards, you can't draw a straight line 
yet mm-hmm. between the solutions that they're investing in and how that's going to impact their bottom line, right? So I think that you need to recognize there's some fuzziness there. It may not happen as quickly as you expect. Now, not a big deal if you're a Microsoft, right? You've got plenty of other levers that yep. you're pulling. The company kicks off tons of cash. They have, mm-hmm. you know, they can afford it, right? They can afford to make these kind of bets. Gets scarier to me when you hear people getting excited about these secondary, going back to your internet example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Secondary tertiary idea, the meme stock kind of, let's release a press release touting our AI capabilities. Correct. And there is zero real impact AI. I I was reading, uh, I I can't remember the name of the company, but it was, um, it might have been Amberella, as a matter of fact. I was reading the transcript, and they were saying, blah, 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 we are well on our way into transforming into an AI company. And, uh, you know, I remember Amberella largely as a, um, if I remember this correctly, digital camera company, yeah, right? Right. Yeah, they did the chips supporting GoPro. Correct, correct. Now, I, I don't mean like photography. I mean, right. they make the camera chips. Thank you. Right. And and I was just sitting there like, huh, interesting, interesting timing on all of this, um, you know. So I yeah, I got I, a I bad do... quarter, so I'm gonna throw some AI language in and see if the algorithms take over and run the stock up. <laughs> Sprinkle some AI goodness. Well, let me so let, let me just touch on two things, Todd, because, um, have you stopped using? I, I'm I'm presuming something here, so correct me if I'm wrong. Have you stopped using Google as your primary search engine lately? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so what is Microsoft Bing's market share? Eight I can tell you. 8.3%, right? Uh, no. What was it, it last year? No, 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 if, no. No, it's smaller than that. If you look global across desktop, notebooks, and smartphones, it's like 2%. Yeah. It's So all this chat GPT integration into Bing, Maybe someday that helps them win market share, but I, I certainly, you know, I mean, I have a chat GPT. Well, that was that that was the point that I had made. Well, there there are two points that I made. One was that, look, there's a lot of thought going on here that Microsoft is going to integrate Chat GPT into Bing, and all of a sudden Bing will take off. It will win um, advertising dollars, losing the with Google losing them. And, you know, through the first, you know, couple months of the year where, you know, five months of data in, nothing has changed. No, no, no. nothing has changed. And, and, and you go back to it and you say, OK, well, you know, then this is kind of the point. One of the points that Doug was making when he was talking about, you know, the fuzzy line between all this AI spending and how that's going to turn into profitability for these companies. I mean, Alphabet, all that money they're spending on Bard really is just basically to protect their moat. Yes. Right? I mean, is it, it's not like it's opening up this huge new opportunity. It may, it may, maybe, maybe. but it's not like you can draw a direct line and say, okay, this is a brand new, this is tons of new runway for them. And I think that that, that's something that, you know, I think people need to remember that. Agreed. Um, And I I agree with you. I haven't changed my search behavior. I mean, I, I love the concept of being able to get better results and better information, but I do question some of this. I mean, you've got, you know, Salesforce with, um, 
Slack, what is it? Slack GPT, and they got Einstein GPT, and everybody's got uh, something GPT all of yeah, a sudden. Yeah, and really, uh, it's 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 glorified email writing, sir. You know, it'll write your email, all right? Well, okay, that's great. That's interesting. I mean, well, I, I what, guess, how do you price that, and how are you making money on it, and and how much money will you make on it? Yeah. So, I mean, the the two things I, I played a little bit with uh, Chat GPT on the on the iOS app. And it was funny because the data set there, last I looked, was capped at the end of 2021, which is interesting. But um, the other thing, there's two things. One is, um, have you been reading that AI will kind of uh, <laughs> fill in the blanks if it needs to sometimes, which, which is a little scary. And then the other thing is just what's unfolding in Washington, that all these folks who, you know, who are working on AI, you know, of late, we'll say, are really warning about the dangers of AI. And, I, and I'm not saying we're going all Cyberdyne 2000 Terminator or anything like that, but it's like, you didn't see people who were early stalwarts in the internet come around and warn about the internet. That two sentence blurb letter, listeners, if you didn't see it, I mean, I, they wrote a letter. So I'm expecting this big letter, multiple paragraphs, this whole huge explanation. No, it was like one paragraph and it basically said, look out, <laughs> be very careful. And I'm like, this is the weirdest letter because it's almost like, well, you're telling us that there's this potential for huge risk. Well, then why don't we, why develop it at yeah. all? Right? Yeah. Why yeah. develop it? Why are we even doing this? They they, they made it. A, they what do they say? It was akin to pandemics and nuclear. Uh, the risk of nuclear war. I mean, like this is a very bizarre approach to it. But we have to remember too, you know, that that we are miles, miles away from Skynet and um, you know these these autonomous robots that could take over the world. I mean, we're talking about generative AI right now. I mean, ChatGPT simply being able to say. Uh, tell me everything the, that I need to know about maximizing social security, and it would crank out a couple paragraphs. That's very different than anything do you else. Think, do you think James Cameron is sitting back going, hey, chat GPT, write me the next Terminator movie? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. He actually, all kidding aside, I don't know if you know this, he is actually working on another installment. I love those movies. Now we were going we're going off the reservation, but man, I, yeah, yeah, I, we are. I, I we can't are. wait for it. I can't wait for it. All right, all right. So uh, let's let's wrap this up, Todd, because um, I got a pack. So you know, um, just circling us all the way back to what I said uh, at at the start. Any any closing comments, Todd? No, I hope you have a great time. You and your family travel safe and and have some much deserved rest and recreation. We'll catch you on the flip side. I. I appreciate it. And uh, folks, just remember, slew of data coming. We are going to see a downtick in earnings. But, you know, data, 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 Fed, 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 pay attention. And by all means, keep reading the AAP alerts. Check out what Todd has to say over at Smarts. Always some smart comment there. See what I did, Todd? And then um, be sure to check out Real Money, Real Money Pro as well. A lot of smart folks over there. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.